Every year in Come Follow Me, we have an Easter lesson, whether it's the Old Testament that we are studying, the Doctrine and Covenants, or this year the New Testament. And that's because every year we celebrate Easter and also Christmas. It's interesting that sometimes I listen to Christian radio and they uh, jokingly call those who only come to church on Christmas and Easter, they call them creasters, which I thought was kind of funny. And I've even seen those little signs out in front of a church that says, we're still here between Christmas and Easter. But those two holidays are hugely important. And it reminds me of something I love to talk about, a William B. Smart editorial in the church news years ago spoke of the three levels of Christmas. Level one is, of course, Santa Claus and Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman and Jingle Bells and Christmas trees and all of that sort of thing. But it's great and it's fun and we love it and I love it, but there's a, a deeper level and that is the silent night level of the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and the uh, the birth of Christ, and O Holy Night. And I, I love that level. And we put our nativity scenes out. What William B. Smart said when he wrote about this is that the one who keeps Christ in the manger will, in the end, be unfulfilled. And I, I loved the phrase, keeps Christ in the manger. They seem to be okay with the baby Jesus. That's okay. And with Silent Night and everything. But what about the adult Christ who, who grew? As we know in Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, grew in all of those ways, and then started asking things of us to follow him, to be like him, to do what he would do, to be a light to the world, to take his light to the world. And then when I thought about this and I thought about Easter, I thought this is the level, this is the level that makes the other two levels possible, is the resurrected Christ. Without that, there wouldn't be, the birth of Christ wouldn't be celebrated, and the level one might not have been invented either. But it's the resurrected Christ that made all this possible. But I, I had the thought, because of what William B. Smart said, that if you keep Christ in the manger, you'll be unfulfilled. Some want to keep Christ in the tomb. And to reduce Jesus of Nazareth to a great moral teacher who taught some great things like love your neighbor and do good to them that, that despise you and use you. And, but it ends there. And President Howard W. Hunter said once that without the resurrection, um, the gospel becomes, what does he say, a litany of wise sayings and seemingly inexplicable miracles, but no ultimate triumph. And so Jesus wasn't kept in the tomb. He was delivered from the tomb. He resurrected. And because of that, these other levels are possible. And sometimes we say that the gospel makes bad men good and good men better. But it's even more than that. It makes all men immortal, all men and women immortal. And even eternal life is possible, not just immortality, but eternal life which is amazing that that's possible for everybody because that tomb was empty. One of the things that I love is to look at things that the Lord wants us to repeat. I'm just kind of intrigued by that. And the sacrament is one of those things that he has us repeat. We are baptized once. 
that's an event. But being born again is more of a process, and we are reminded and renew our covenants every time we take the sacrament. And I'm intrigued by the sacrament prayer. How many teachings are in that simple prayer that the priests say? So when the priest gets up to, to bless the sacrament, he says and kneels down, and my understanding is the whole, the whole congregation used to kneel. They don't do that anymore. But I think you'll read in, in either Moroni or Doctrine and Covenants section 20 that they kneel with the church. The priest kneels with the church and says, O God, the Eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. So already we've got the doctrine of God the Father, our Eternal Father. And interestingly, that phrase, Eternal Father, does not appear anywhere in the King James Bible. God is our eternal Father, eternally of our Father, appears in other scriptures um, and in our articles of faith. We believe in God, the eternal Father, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost. All of them are mentioned in the sacrament prayer. So it begins, O God, the eternal Father, we ask Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray to the Father in the name of the Son to bless and sanctify this bread. I love that uh, Jesus would choose such a simple thing as bread. I ask my return missionaries, did, did they have bread in the country where you served? They almost always say yes. I don't think I've had anybody say no. There's different kinds of bread. My, my memory is in the Philippines, they had rice bread even. that They used ground flour or rice for flour, but they had their own kind of bread there. But everybody relates to bread. And Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life and even... The place where he was born, Bethlehem, means house of bread. So this prayer continues to, let's go back to the beginning. O God, the eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it. We so often say, which is appropriate when it's sincere, please bless this food to nourish and strengthen our bodies. And this is a whole nother, we're only taking a piece of bread, maybe not even enough to nourish our bodies for very long. But this is to the souls of all those who partake of it. And we learn that the body and spirit together are the soul of man from the Doctrine and Covenants. So this is another level. To the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of thy son. This part as a kid, when I had trouble paying attention... <laughs> Or in sacrament meeting, my mom would say, think about Jesus. And I didn't really know what to think about. And for many years, I thought, you know, in remembrance of the body of thy son, okay, we're supposed to remember that he lived, that he died. My favorite thing to think of now is to remember that the tomb was empty. That's a very Easter thing to remember. In remembrance of the body of thy son was that his body was bruised, broken, and torn for us on Calvary's hill, as the hymn says, but that the tomb was empty, and now he is resurrected and glorified. And that is the victory, the greatest victory ever, victory over the grave, that we can remember, the body of thy Son. In remembrance of the body of thy Son, and witness unto thee, O God, the Eternal Father. What does that mean, witnessing unto God? I think it means we're, we're showing him, we're giving him an assurance, our witness, that we are willing to take upon us, right? That they are willing to take upon them the name of thy son. 
and always remember him, and keep his commandments which he has given them, that they may always have his spirit to be with them. What I noticed when I looked closely is that there's not a period there. I'm grateful for the word willing, because in a way we're not able to do all that this is asking us to do. Able to take upon us the name of thy son and always remember him and keep his commandments which he has given us. But we can be willing. It's kind of like, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. We're trying, we're striving. We keep coming back to the covenant path if we make mistakes. But we're willing to try to uh, take, willing to take upon us his name, to be called Christians, to not be ashamed of his name, to tell people that we love Jesus, we believe in him, and always remember him. Always is a strong word. It's hard to always remember him, but we can get better at that as we try to surround ourselves with reminders of the Savior and in our music and in our media, in the paintings we have on our walls. Always remember him. They may have his spirit to be with them. It's fun to think of the armor of God as Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 6. I think it's also in section 27 of the Doctrine and Covenants that everything is defensive. Everything is a shield for different parts of the body except for the sword. The sword is a weapon. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul kind of combines the word of God and, and the spirit together. And what I love about that is Every Sunday, it's kind of like we are rearming when the priest says that they may always have his spirit to be with them. And the Lord is giving us a weapon to actually do battle with the error in the world. So much error, so many false ideas and teachings, truth mixed with error, and we have to be able to discern what's true and what's an error. And that's just the prayer on the bread, the prayer on the water or the blood. We witness that we do always remember him. It, it kind of goes up a notch to a higher level. And when we think about what Jesus' body accomplished, the resurrection, we will all be resurrected. And when we think about Jesus' blood, we can be cleansed, changed, the atonement all of a sudden, Moses 139 makes a little more sense. Bring to pass the immortality, that's the bread, that's Jesus' body, and eternal life, that's his blood. Immortality and eternal life, not the same thing. Immortality, you never die, but eternal life is not just a length of life, but the quality of life, the kind of life that God lives. And that's what we receive at the sacrament table, which is such a beautiful thing and all of so many doctrines are there particularly the resurrection is there and elder bruce r mcconkey once said the most important events that ever happened on earth happened in gardens and i was intrigued by that idea the three gardens of god he called them the garden of eden the focal point of the creation and the fall and then, of course, the Garden of Gethsemane. And I hasten to add an events that continued in, on Golgotha. But Golgotha was near a garden. So the feeling this, the pressed upon by the sins of the world in the Garden of Gethsemane, then the crucifixion on Golgotha, all part of the events of the atonement. And then the garden tomb. There was in a garden a tomb. We, we know there's a place they call the garden tomb. Lots of debate whether that's the actual place or not. 
but the scriptures note that there was a tomb in a garden. And uh, that's where this resurrection took place, the triumph of Easter. And we sing so many Christmas carols that are so wonderful, but at Easter we sing, Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. And it's so true. That is the point of all of it, is that he was resurrected. Elder Talon H. Oaks spoke to the BYU Management Society in December of 2015 at the Little America Hotel in Salt Lake City. And these are just some of the paragraphs that I loved. At this time of year, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His life was the greatest life ever lived. And this talk was given at Christmas, but this applies. Because I love what he said next. Even in secular terms, his life has had greater impact on every part of this world and its history than any life ever lived. No one who has ever lived has more monuments to his life and teaching than he. This, of course, includes the great cathedrals that dot the landscape in Western Europe, many of them requiring more than 100 years to construct, and more recently, our own temples, more than 145 on every continent and in 45 nations of the world. This is eight years ago, I think. Under construction, planned, or operating now are around 300. Back to, to Elder, then Elder Oaks. The greatest art and music of the Western world has been devoted to celebrating the birth and the life and the mission of Jesus Christ. Kingdoms have been founded and overthrown to serve his purposes. As the leaders of that time supposed, armies have marched and navies have put to sea and continents have been discovered and populated. Philosophers and theologians have spent their lives studying his teachings. Among other impacts, those teachings have unquestionably fostered political systems that dignify and provide rights to the individual, and have inspired charity, education, and culture. Millions have given their lives, and more importantly, millions have patterned their lives after the Lord God of Israel, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. I believe that President Gordon B. Hinckley did not overstate the point when he wrote, His matchless example has become the greatest power for goodness and peace in all the world. Our Savior's mission was to save us from death, to save us from sin, to save us from ignorance. What did He teach us, and more importantly, what have we learned? We live in peace and prosperity when we follow His teachings. In contrast, virtually every unhappiness and sorrow in the world is traceable to failures to follow His teachings. So, the greatest life ever lived, we can't just leave in the tomb. He, he hasn't left us that option. He was resurrected. And I think that all of the miracles that he did also testify of who he was. Power over men, women, children, animals, plants, the weather, all testifying that he was the Son of God. On our Follow Him podcast, Hank Smith and I interviewed Anthony Sweat, who had a little acronym. He called it an acrostic, I guess, C-H-R-I-S-T, spelling the word Christ. He can cleanse us, heal us, restore us, identify with us, strengthen us, and lastly, transform us. And that is why we're so grateful for this Easter season that we have hope. We have hope because of the powerful things that the Savior did. 
that we'll see our loved ones again, that their tombs will one day be empty, that our tomb will be empty because of his work in our behalf. And that's why we're, we love Easter, which should be bigger than Christmas. Maybe we can start thinking of it that way. There is no Christmas without Easter. So I'm thankful for that. One of the most profound moments for me in visiting the garden tomb was as you exit, and I'm not sure if this sign is still there, but there was a wooden sign up above the threshold of the door to the tomb that you didn't see when you were coming in, but when you're leaving, you see it, and it says, He is not here, for He is risen. And I love to think about that during the sacrament. I hope this has been helpful for you today. Wish you a happy Easter, and we'll talk to you next time as we continue in the New Testament.